Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the episodic audiobook, Fire, Pain, and Ruin, a Rutherford Manor novel. So we have, I guess including this one, four episodes left before I am closing off the podcast version, which will give me time to finish up and clean the whole audiobook, which will be available for purchase, um, which uh, we're getting into some exciting stuff. There's lots of tension going on, as we've seen in the previous episodes with, like, the Irene coming back into Spaulding's life, uh, Father Isaac knowing more about Alistair than Spaulding ever thought possible, Irene, uh, yeah, I already said Irene coming back, and then there's Maxwell with Louise, and then what Billy did to Maxwell that Spaulding's aware of that Billy killed, but he didn't know why, and that's Louise and Billy's little secret. But it's eating Louise up. She's going mad. Um, because, like, yeah, the guy was a creep, and uh, he got what he was coming to him. Now, in episode 13, we looked at chapters 26 and 27, where Spaulding and Irene had another fling. And Spaulding's feeling extra sorry for himself and weak, because Irene basically owns him. And there's nothing he thinks he can do about it. Um... And Billy was teaching Louise some stuff, some fighting skills, where her Louise's parents think Billy's just teaching her some hunting skills. But no, no, Billy is teaching Louise how to fight for herself, so people like Maxwell will never come around again. That's kind of where we left off. Um, more of the drama being on Spaulding's side. Um, let's jump into this episode and see what happens next. Chapter 28 Lady of Death. Playtime. A bonding moment that allows kids to develop friendships, trust, and other essential social skills. Kind of like adults in their adult club when they go on adventures. It could bring people together, or it could push people apart. Louise's bond with her sister always grew stronger when they played in the forest. Everything else went away. In those moments, it was just Louise and Lisa. No chores, no boys, no church. The old log bridge was their secret spot. They could be themselves, sisters. No one else around to get in the way. Samuel, Lisa said, you're silly. Samuel had his index finger up to his upper lip. He talked in a deep voice. I know all the things you're supposed to do, he said in a crude mocking imitation of Father Haywood's voice. Do as I say. Lisa giggled. Stop! Louise smiled. It was a funny impersonation of Father Haywood. They were all tired of him. Samuel had that going for him. Other than that, he was invading Louise and Lisa's bonding time. The sister's secret spot was no more. That's what he does, Samuel said. We have to listen to that again this Sunday. It gets old. Yeah, Lisa said. It is tiring. Louise nodded. At least we don't need to be there right now, she said while looking around the forest. Beautiful. It went on forever. It seemed to be the only place where she could get her mind to relax. No adults around. Maybe we can sneak away again, Lisa said. The less time we have to be there, the better. Think we can get away any farther this time? Samuel said. We never make it past the tree out front. We shouldn't. We'll make our parents mad, Lisa said. They don't even know you're here right now. Neither does your family, 
Samuel countered. True, Lisa said. Samuel looked over to the log bridge. This is pretty cool. Yeah, Louise said. It was our little secret. Samuel peered over the edge of the cliff, soaking in the sure death drop to the jagged stones and shallow stream below. Whoa. Don't get too close, Lisa said. You'll slip. Is this bridge sturdy? Samuel said while walking onto the log. Yeah, Lisa said. It's been there as long as we've known about this place. It goes straight to our home. Cool. Maybe I could come by sometime, Samuel said. That would be great. Mom and father are a little picky about who they let come over, though. I'm not sure why. Just another check mark for the adult club, Louise said. They love to keep their secrets. One day, we will be adults, Samuel said. Lisa walked close to him. You going to get married? Of course, just like my father. Find me a pretty girl, he winked at Lisa. She giggled and coiled her hair around her index finger. Smooth. What a little rat. He was enchanting Louise's sister. That's what boys do, she thought. They want to take a pretty girl and hide her away. Louise just wanted to have fun with her sister, but obviously that wasn't going to happen. Lisa was entranced with Samuel. Hopefully, they would never get married. That would be horrible. Louise didn't want to put up with Samuel and his stupid teeth forever. Something about boys sometimes caused girls to enter a trance. They became very interested. Whether they liked it or not, Louise knew that firsthand. She'd had no reason to like Maxwell like that, but she did. Looking back, she could clearly identify the moments where something wasn't right. The creepy way he'd talked to her and touched her. But in the moment, she'd had no clue. He'd been nice to her. He smiled. He was attentive and complimented her. Samuel was doing the exact same thing to Lisa, and Lisa was reacting to it just like Louise had reacted to Maxwell's attention. Thankfully, this was different. This was innocent. Samuel wasn't a married adult. So, despite her approval, Louise wouldn't get in the way. Samuel and Lisa giggled. They ran across the log with Samuel chasing her. They were off in their own wonderland. Louise felt left out. Lisa didn't need her anymore. She had a boy. Louise was on her own, with her secrets. So... She walked away, following some of the mossy ground that led deeper into the thick forest. She'd find Samuel and Lisa again later. She wasn't too concerned. Eventually, they could go home, and Louise would stare at the ceiling in her bedroom for the rest of the evening. That was what she always did these days when she wasn't with Great Uncle Billy. There wasn't much else for her to do around the manor other than question the point of it all. She enjoyed hunting. She got to learn about trapping, stalking, and killing. It was a lot of fun. Great Uncle Billy understood the void. The burning sensation. All of it. He didn't judge her. Unfortunately, she'd have to wait another week to learn more from him. Now he was busy with his work. Louise ran her hand along the trunks of the trees, feeling the grooves and indents of the bark. She had nature to keep her company. It didn't judge her. She could simply be in the forest without anything else in the way. She could focus on herself and get lost in introspection, thinking about what called to her, like the midwives did. Louise wondered what drew her into the forest. Perhaps it was the void. 
She wasn't exactly sure what it was. More searching was required. Then, she too could throw birds out of thin air, or cause trauma. The ritual. She'd never seen Great Uncle Billy and Great Aunt Vivian so upset. Louise had really messed up. After the ceremony, everyone had reassured her that it wasn't her fault. They told her that she was just trying to do something nice for her relatives. Yet she still couldn't help but feel responsible. Regardless of the ugly outcome, Louise had been entranced with the ritual. The chanting, the storm, the lightning, and the owl. The bad omen. They were trying to bring a child into this world that hadn't even been born yet. The midwives had power. Louise wanted that power. If she combined the knowledge she was gaining from Billy and whatever mysticism the midwives had, no one could stand in her way. She would be better than the adults in their stupid club. She had a long road ahead of her and didn't know much about combat. Louise knew she looked like a goof in front of Great Uncle Billy. Mistakes made her want to hide. Thus, the forest was more appealing. She was drawn to it. The silence. Peace. No boys or adults. Her desire to look within was calling to her, drawing her to the trees, just as it did for the midwives. A rustling noise caught her attention. Louise stopped. She tried to pinpoint the sound. It was probably a small animal. Curiosity filled her. She could use her tracking skills to find it. The rustling continued. She examined the ground, trying to spot paw prints. It was a little muddy, making it easier to see. There were several prints. The animal's back legs were longer than the front. A rabbit that moved steadily. Louise followed. The animal picked up its pace. More muddy imprints. Possibly a second animal. The rustling picked up again. It was louder this time. This was the right track. The ground was extra moist, tinted with hues of red. A battle. She continued to follow the trail. Introspection merged with intuition. Success! Around a stump was a small rabbit. It was injured. It attempted to crawl away, but the back leg had been mutilated. A broken bone poked through the hind leg. The animal tried to hop through the leaves, but it wasn't going anywhere. Louise fixated on the leg. She could see the flesh and the bone itself. It reminded her of the rodent from the spring. It was like Maxwell. All red. The texture. Everyone was the same on the inside. She could turn the rabbit inside out and she'd basically be looking at herself. She was the rabbit. Maxwell was the rabbit. The rodent was her. A perfect intricate oneness. The fluffy white fur of the rabbit was a dividing wall. She could release the rabbit and let it be one with all. Great Uncle Billy had done so with Maxwell. Louise had wanted to do it with the rodent. Her sister interfered with the calling then. Nothing was stopping Louise now. She could do whatever she wanted to the animal. Intuition. It drew her in. She wanted power. Death. A voice came to Louise inside her head. At least she didn't think it was her own. The subtle wind picked up. Leaves blew around her dress. Louise perked up. She was unsure if the voice was in her mind or out loud. To her surprise, a brunette woman stood about 30 paces away. Her green dress was tattered. Her hair covered half her face. The woman stared at her. Rowan? She thought. 
follow intuition, came the voice again. It was clearly not her own. The woman's mouth didn't move. Whose voice was this? It was whimsical, like a distant call. It was familiar. She knew she had heard it in her past, but she wasn't sure where. Who? came an owl. Something wild was around. Perhaps the owl had hurt the rabbit. The bird didn't kill it though. It left it here. Nature was calling Louise to act, but the owl, omens. She was closer to herself than ever before. Intuition, my child, came the voice again. Louise looked at Rowan, then down to the rabbit. Maybe it wasn't the midwife. It looked like Rowan, sort of, but this woman was bone thin. The hands, or claws, horns. Too late, tunnel vision pulled her into the flesh, and all else blurred. The blood, Maxwell, the rodent, womanhood, red, nature's calling. She started to lose the sensation of herself. Her physical form was absent. All other sensations began to vanish. Only her transfixion on the wounded rabbit remained. Death, Louise thought. That was it. The forest had spoken to her. This was what the midwives were talking about. She searched inside herself and found what drew to her. It was death. She wanted to gift it to the animal. Louise leaned down. The rabbit was a futile case. Louise snagged the furry thing by the leg, causing it to wail in pain. She dragged it closer and used her other hand to trap the animal by the neck. It attempted to wiggle, crying out in agony as Louise continued to squeeze. She jammed her thumb into the open wound, running her hand inside the flesh. This was what she felt like. This was what oneness felt like. She was fusing as one with the rabbit. Louise! Focus. Death. Louise stared at the animal's black, beady eyes as it drowned in fear. The rabbit continued to squirm. The moment passed. Nothing. She felt the body of the animal slacken. She let the neck go. Its eyes were wide open. The tongue dangled. She freed her blood-smeared hand from the open leg wound. Louise! came her sister's voice. Louise blinked a couple of times, standing upright. Her vision widened to normality. The lady was gone. The wind calmed down. She was alone with the dead rabbit. The death she created. Louise had experienced the flesh, the connection of all life, the natural path. She gazed down at the rabbit again, seeing how the animal's open wound had been stretched from her forcing her hand inside. The skin flapped onto the mud. Louise wasn't even sure what she was doing with her hand inside the animal. Reason kicked in. She had blood all over her hand. Samuel and Lisa were looking for her. Her sister might have understood if that stupid boy wasn't around. But this would be embarrassing. Killer Annie murders animals, Louise thought, wondering if she would end up like the old lady. It was a brief fictionalization and she chucked it out of her mind. Killer Annie didn't act like the midwives, who had supernatural abilities. She was just an old lady who was off her rocker. Louise felt a connection to the beyond. She offered mercy. I fell, Louise thought. A simple explanation. They didn't need to know what she'd done to the animal. Blood was disgusting. There was a lot of it. She didn't see the animal. Yes, they would buy the story. The lie was worth it. 
She was used to lying anyways. A hum rushed through her body. Satisfaction was a better word. Yes, she had found herself in the hunt. Death was her calling. Chapter 29 Faithless He wasn't going to do it again. Spaulding couldn't. He could go to Fight Club without her controlling him. Spaulding was his own man and didn't need anyone else to run his life. Well, his wife sure did. But that wasn't the point. Spaulding would go throw some fists, catch up with friends, and not go home with Irene. Maybe she wouldn't even be there. The way that girl looked at him while he was in the ring was pure lust. She said she'd be back for him. He could feel his heart pound just thinking about her words. His stomach twisted in a sickening sensation. He didn't want to be excited, but he was. He knew damn well that he wouldn't be able to resist her. Still, he had to try. He was a family man. Spaulding entered the kitchen as he always did after he returned from work. He wanted to check if his wife was around. She was in the kitchen. Family man. This was his life. He wanted the girls to have the best upbringing he could offer them. He had to be a better man. For them. Welcome home, Penny said in her usual monotone voice. She was prepping dinner. Looks like they'd be having boiled chicken again. Hi, dear. Spaulding went to give his wife a kiss but stopped mid-step. Maybe not. He wasn't in the mood for rejection. It would be easier to simply step aside and let Penny carry on with her business. She didn't like being disturbed while she was cooking, or doing any other chores for that matter. He'd leave it at that. How are you feeling? Spaulding asked. Headache gone? No, Penny said. Would you like to see a doctor? Spaulding asked. This has been going on for a month. The same answer as always, no. I've been through this before and know what's happening. I've had it since childhood. Let me handle it the way I do. Vacant from the family and distant from me. Got it, Spaulding thought. He knew she was right. She would handle it in her own way. Sometimes, these episodes lasted a couple of days. Other times, it was weeks. Not like this. There was nothing he could do. He could only let his wife be herself. The self that was the exact opposite of Irene. That damn mobster. Did you talk to Jacob today? Penny asked. Yeah, Spaulding said. Thank God she'd ask a question. He could push that temptress out of his mind. We're going to be finalizing the documents pretty soon. It's still not complete? There were complications in the negotiations with the old owner. Either way, I checked it out and it looks like the building needs a bit of work. It does have the foundations for a funeral home, though. That's good, Penny said, chopping up the chicken. You'll be there in no time. I think so, Spaulding said. I have a feeling that I'll be moving between there and the butcher shop for the first while. At least until we get more traction with the funeral home. Plus, Billy needs me there while he's juggling work with Knox. Of course, Penny said. Penny, Spaulding said while scratching his chin. On another topic, I had an idea. Oh? Penny said. I've been thinking we could take the girls to Chicago. They'd enjoy it. Be a family man. Do good things for them, he thought. Penny stopped cutting the chicken. Why? They have everything they need right here. They do, but they're growing up. They're going to want to know how the world works, Spaulding said. I suppose, Penny said. I just don't think they're ready yet. 
Maybe in a few years. It's a big city and it is intimidating. I remember my first time there well. Yeah? Spaulding asked. My father took me when I wasn't much younger than our girls, Penny said, resuming her work with the knife. That was a while ago, Spaulding said. Yes, I remember there being a lot of stimulation. There's plenty to keep the girls busy here. All right, maybe when they're older. Spaulding felt a wave of disappointment. He wanted to show the girls the big city. They only knew Rowley. There was so much more for them to see. Plus, he hadn't been to Chicago for a while. The big city was a joy. Maybe Irene had influenced him with her words. Maybe he wanted to get a taste of Chicago again to see if it was what he wanted. No, Spaulding couldn't toy with those ideas. His purpose was here, at Rutherford Manor, with his family, and the Fleshers. Oh, for heaven's sake, Penny said, slamming the knife on the counter. What is it? Spaulding asked. The girls, Penny said, storming out of the kitchen to the back door. Spaulding stared out the window to see that Louise and Lisa were coming up from the backyard. Louise had blood all over her hand. They'd gotten themselves into trouble again. He shouldn't be surprised. Those girls always got into things they shouldn't. He headed out back to join his wife and the girls. Penny was wide-eyed, hurrying to the girls in a panic. There was no reason to fret, though. Spaulding knew. The way Louise was walking proved she didn't have any serious injuries. Are you okay? Penny said while hurrying to Louise. Are you hurt? Where? I just fell, Louise said. She stumbled on a dead animal, Lisa said. Heavens! Why didn't you wash this off? Penny asked. This is disgusting. I just fell, Louise said. That's why we're home. Get into the house and take care of that. Don't touch anything. Lisa, help her. The girls eyed their father for reassurance. Spaulding nodded. Listen to your mother, he said. You did well, Lisa. You took care of Louise when she needed you. Now go. Yes, father, the twins said simultaneously. The girls walked past him and into the house. Spaulding narrowed his eyes as he watched Louise disappear inside. He was suspicious. No one just fell into that much blood. A strange sense of deja vu rose up through his core. When he'd seen Penny for the first time behind her father, her hands had been covered in blood. Walter Flesher had claimed that his daughter wasn't getting into the family practices. Spaulding now understood Walter a little better, trusted his girls. He knew they weren't getting into the gore and violence like Knox. There was no need to scold them. That was a surprise, Spaulding said. Those girls, Penny said, they're always getting themselves into trouble. They're 14 and homeschooled. They get curious and have pent-up energy. It's normal. I just wish they would behave better. Then we could have more playdates with the Connorses. Yeah, Spaulding said. Maxwell, Spaulding thought. He still couldn't believe that Billy had been so reckless that he had killed the man. Poor Mrs. Connors. She was a widow now, but she didn't even realize it. She still kept hope that her husband would return. If only she knew... Penny returned to the manor and continued to prep for dinner. Spaulding sat out front on the veranda, having a cigarette. He didn't have much else to focus on right now. Paperwork was being processed for the funeral home. He didn't need to talk to Knox about anything. Billy was off taking care of work. Spaulding could relax. Later, he could go to Fight Club for the thrill. No Irene. Once dinner was served, the Rutherford Manor residents all gathered in the dining room. As they did before every meal, they said a prayer. 
It was for the girls. Spalding or Penny would take the lead, praying while everyone else listened. He wasn't sure that the twins were on board with this practice. It was blatantly obvious that they didn't enjoy church or religion, just like their father. Still, there were strong morals for them to learn by listening to Father Haywood every Sunday. There were teachings that Spalding should be following a little more closely. He was a man, and therefore a victim of sin. After dinner, Spalding prepped himself to go into town. He gave his girls a kiss on the cheek, saying goodbye. Penny was next, a quick peck. She turned away, rubbing her forehead. I don't feel well, Penny said, leaving for the bedroom. That was that. No more physical connection for the day. A family man's life. Spalding got his horse from the stable and rode off to Rowley. Now he was fueled for some fists. If you couldn't have a woman's touch, you could at least punch away your physical frustrations. No Irene. Simple as that. Fists only tonight. Spalding spotted Sheriff Jensen just outside of Rowley, standing with several other lawmen. Blue and white ropes surrounded a body at the side of the road, face to the ground. The second moment of deja vu for the day. Alistair. The blue and white rope. Sheriff Jensen. Face in the dirt. Spalding slowed his horse down as he came up to the officers. He peeked over the rope to see the corpse of a man with some feathers over his body. His eyes widened. This was too coincidental. Feathers. He remembered Alistair's corpse had clutched them when he died. Irene was right. His death was not the work of the White Hand. Over fifteen years may have passed, but Spalding knew the details like the back of his hand. Evening, gentlemen, Spalding said while tipping his hat. Sheriff Jensen had his hands on his hips, bags under his eyes, holding his hat. His hair was unkept. The man was obviously stressed. What happened? Spalding asked. Father Isaac, Sheriff Jensen said. Spalding's heart skipped a beat. What? He was pretty accustomed to surprises, but this one came as a shock. He navigated the horse closer to the blue and white rope. Now, he could clearly see it was indeed Father Isaac. The frame, his gray hair. How? We're investigating it. People don't just kill priests. No, they don't. Guess that makes two now, Spalding said. I beg your pardon? Sheriff Jensen asked. We're still looking for Maxwell Connors. I mean this, the style of death, Spalding said. Seem familiar? Sheriff Jensen sighed. <sighs> I knew you'd bring that up as soon as I saw you riding in. Still think Alistair's death was a heart attack? Spalding asked. I don't know what to think. I'm getting too old for this shit. I feel the same way, Spalding said. Yeah, well, at least you aren't the one who has to deal with it. Not this time, Spalding said. Again, if I can be of any help with Maxwell or Father Isaac here, let me know. Spalding stared at the man lying flat, face first on the ground. Father Isaac's hair was a tousled mess. His fists were clenched holding a small pocket Bible and a necklace with a cross. He wore only commoner's clothes. Even though Spalding didn't go to his church anymore, he considered Father Isaac a respectable man. The bond they'd cemented after his first mistake with Irene put things into perspective. Father Isaac was still human. He struggled with his own faith as Spalding struggled with his sin. Spalding knew he should be more upset by the death. Perhaps he was emotionally stunted when it came to familiar faces on a corpse. He only felt disturbed. This was an emotion. The circumstances were all too familiar. 
Spaulding didn't know how, but he knew this was connected to Alistair's death. Just like Walter Flesher and his wife had died in the fire. Unexplained, Fleshers, and those who were close to the family. Small similarities joined by a translucent string. Flesher after Flesher, sudden deaths, then mirrored murders. The years apart only made it more mysterious. Spaulding knew the killings were connected. There was no proof, only that one fine string connecting them. Maybe Father Isaac had been more closely involved with Alistair than Spaulding ever realized. Alistair Flesher, a man of mystery, even in his death. And that is the end of episode 14 for Fire, Pain, and Ruin, a Rutherford Manor novel. Things are getting heated. Uh, Louise is kind of going off the deep end, um, hurting that poor rabbit. Well, I guess it was a mercy kill, however you want to look at it, but she didn't have to torture it. Uh, and Spaulding sure is struggling with his own emotions. Then and, uh, Father Isaac just kind of bit the dust, so... That's uh, another mystery of these Flesher people. And we have three more episodes after this. And if you just can't wait, jump ahead, grab the book on Amazon in ebook or print. And of course, the actual grand finale of the audiobook will be available uh, for purchase after I finish recording it. So uh, definitely wait till next week as we continue up until the climax for where the podcast version ends and uh share with your friends and if you haven't definitely check out my patreon it is always having cool stuff every month with original new short stories in written and audio format with artwork so until next week take care ciao